Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Heavenly Father, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And above all else, Lord Jesus, set our hearts on fire with a love for you. We pray these things in your name. Please have a seat, and if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5, uh, but not for very long, but we're still going to be there, uh, because we are in the middle of a sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. So as a very quick review of the fruit of the Spirit, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the Galatians, or the church in Galatia, uh, and he's outlining what it means to belong to Christ and uh, and what should be the outcome of our lives? What if we belong to Jesus? If we are if we are Christians, for those of you who are Christians in this room, uh, that that there should be a result of that in our lives. We should we should bear fruit. There should be things that should exhibit in our lives. And so uh, so he sets that apart from the works of the flesh. But then but then he says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the things that should come out of us if we belong to Christ. If we're connected to Christ as the vine, these are the things that should show in our lives. And so we are, we're looking at the second one this week, joy. Now, I want to start this week in the exact same way that I started last week is that there is a profoundly deep and amazing truth just in the simple fact that one of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. In other words, God wants you to be joyful. He wants joy for you. And that in itself should make us pause. The God of the entire universe who created the Milky Way, right, and everything else, um, our entire universe, wants joy for you. And so everything else that we learn about, know about, read about, experience about God, when we're trying to interpret who is he, what is he doing, why is he doing what he's doing, why is he asking of me what he's asking of me, all runs through the lens of he wants joy for us. That is a profoundly amazing truth. In fact, in John 15, Jesus has given this long teaching about the Holy Spirit and about him being divine and about all kinds of things. And he ends the teaching, or he begins to end the teaching, by saying this, I have told you all these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. That's why he's taught us the things that he has taught us. His motivations for us are love and joy, and his motivations then are the basis for our trust in him. So here's the question. What is joy? What is it? If God wants this for us, and he has it, um, and then he wants our, his joy to be in us and our joy to be complete, what is it? So here's the definition I'm going to give to you. There's other word choices. There's other vocabulary choices. You can have, but here's, here's what I'm going to propose to you today. Joy is steadfast elation. Steadfast elation. Let me, let me define that for you. Steadfast because it's enduring. It's always there. It exists 
outside of our current life situation. And it's elation because it's delight. At its peak, it's, at its, peak, it's, it's exaltation. But even when it's subdued, it's an ever-present satisfaction and unshakable confidence in God. It's steadfast because it's rooted in the person of the unchanging God, and it's elation because God is good, and he loves us, and he has saved us. One of the most important distinctions we need to make this morning as we're looking at this word is that joy is different from happiness. And if you confuse the two, it will actually lead you to despair. This is why this is so important. Joy, at its core, is not a feeling. It can be. It can be an emotion. It can be a feeling. It can feel really good. There are moments when we can be filled with joy that brings us to laughter and tears of happiness. We see moments in the scripture where people burst forth in praise. But joy does not always smile and skip and laugh. Joy can exist in the midst of weeping. And while happiness comes and goes, while happiness is fleeting, joy remains. The trouble is, a lot of our moral, our ethic, our our hope and aim for life itself has been shaped by the idea of happiness. In fact, In the founding documents of our nation, we say that there are certain inalienable rights that are given to every person, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we pursue it, and we pursue it, and we pursue it, and we get exhausted because it's never enough. You think of all the things that we we do to pursue happiness, The, the things that we buy off of Amazon, the trips that we take, the the hopeful validation from other people that's never enough. We, we want to feel happy, and we've, we've come to the place where we say that that is, our, that, is our, that is our right, is to be happy all the time, but the problem is our needle of happiness goes back and forth. What we really are asking is joy. And there can be happiness in joy, but joy is profoundly it's consistent, it is, it is made up of the eternal, so much so that the, that the scripture even says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. That strength comes from the consistency, the unshakable foundation of the person and work of God from which we get our joy. If happiness is candy, right? It tastes good for a little, it tastes really good for a little while, then it's gone and it rots your teeth, right? Joy is a good, medium-rare steak, right? I mean, there's substance to it. And if you're vegan, I don't know how to help you. Uh, I, I've, got nothing, I've got nothing for you on that. Um, but uh, but it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's something that's going to be lasting even when it's gone. It still has an effect on us even when we're not aware of it. It is always there. Because this, these are the ways that the Scripture defines and describes joy. Joy is rooted in eternity, not in temporal. It's not in temporary. It's rooted in eternity. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says that God placed eternity in our hearts. In other words, when we were made in his image, we were made for the eternal. But we are deceived by temporary. 
This has been the problem since Adam and Eve in the garden, right? We're going to give up the eternal joys of the Lord because this apple or this fruit looks good, and I bet it tastes it's been, it's been the exchange that we have made from the beginning. And a call from the scriptures is a return to joy. See, joy is an unwavering confidence in the presence and the goodness of God that transcends all the things of this world. And when we see the world through this lens of joy, a couple of things happen. One, our mountaintops, those places where we are, at a peak of joy and happiness, even giddiness, they can be even more profound because we can, we can see those great moments as a foretaste of the eternal joy that we're going to know for eternity with the Lord. Like, it's just every now and then there's a brief breaking through of heaven, right? And, uh, and we get to experience that and go, this is great. It won't last here, but one day it will last. And so joy is rooted in this eternal, and our mountaintops can have even more profound depth. And at the same time, our valleys of despair are temporary because we know that they are temporary because we know that Jesus wins in the end and is with us in the meantime, between now. So the, so the deepest and darkest of our valleys are shown to be something that is fleeting and temporary. This is joy. One of the other differences between joy and happiness is that joy is given. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's something that is given, not something that is grasped by our own effort. Now, we can become more aware of it and learn to lean on it more deeply, and we can foster it, or what I like to, the word I like to use in this sermon series, we can, we can cultivate this, this fruit. But joy is a gift given by God through the Holy Spirit. Hear this in Romans 15. This is what Paul prays. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So the God of hope is filling you with the joy and peace of believing, so that by the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. You hear the action of God in this. Not can you figure out how to just be a happier person? But that there is a gift that comes from the fountain of joy himself that is God. And so we don't have to manufacture it. We don't have to fake it. We need to participate. Joy is steadfast elation, confidence in the presence and goodness and victory of God. So the primary way that the Bible speaks of joy actually is joy in the Lord. And so first we see in this that joy, joy comes from who God is. God is in Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and a big ball of joy in that, in that he says, I want my joy to be in you and your joy to be in, in, in your joy to be complete. And so God wants joy for us because he's built it into us because we are made in his image and he wants us to know him and he is joy. He's joy in Trinity. He's joy in sharing and he is calling us to participate. Second, joy comes from knowing what Jesus has done. And this is why joy is unshakable because nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. What he has done for us, 
and the truth of our salvation. This is joy upon joy that no earthly happiness, no matter how great, can ever surpass, and no, uh, and no worry or pain, no matter how deep, can ever eclipse, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He left the joys of heaven to become one of us, to die in our stead, to, rise us, to raise us again to new life. And now he says things that are true, like as far as the east is from the west, or your sins have been removed from you. You were once far away, have been brought near. You were not a people, but now you are a people, and in fact, a family. You were an enemy of God, but now you are a child of God. You were once dead in your transgression, and now you are alive in Christ. And so here, how Paul describes this in these epic, amazing words in Romans chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. If that is true, then joy is unshakable. Right? That is the joy that comes from knowing that Christ is victorious and that Christ is for us and that Christ is with us. And what can outpain that or what can outshine that? Nothing. Love that we discussed last week leads to a joy in the Lord that is greater than anything else in the world. But if we think that our faith is about happiness, we can become disillusioned because God promises joy. Jesus was not happy on the cross, but he was full of joy. And his joy leads to resurrection, leads to the fulfillment of all the things of God that bring about endless happiness in the end. But it is joy that carries through. And that's why we're called then to rejoice, the verb form of joy, to rejoice. We rejoice in what Christ has done for us. We, we are shattered. We are cut to the heart. We are amazed that God himself, who created all things, would die for us in order to give us new life. And we are astounded on our response is rejoicing, to have joy. And we need to be reminded of this because if you read your Bible, if you spend time in prayer, if you're praying the daily office and the prayer book, if you're coming here on Sundays, if you're singing the songs, you hear the gospel over and over and over again. It is good and right, and we should. But we also need to recognize that familiarity can breed contempt. And we need to never be so comfortable with the words that Jesus died on the cross for our sins that it does not move us to a place of both repentance and joy. We need, to, we need to step back and not become so familiar with this unchanging story that we, that we neglect to know its power in our hearts and in our lives. King David prayed, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. He reminds of the gospel and the good news that it brings. That's why we rehearse it every Sunday as well. It's why you get up out of your seat and you come forward to this table 
where we have remembered the broken body and blood of Jesus Christ, and we come forward together as a family, even though we were once not a family, but now we are through the body and blood of Jesus Christ, and we come together, and we know that our minds and our hearts are fleeting and and are easily distracted. And so every week we come back to rehearse the truth of the gospel and to know its Not only does the scripture then talk about joy in the Lord, but it talks about how the joy in the Lord moves into the joy in the everyday. That we looked at Psalm 118 last week, which begins, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his steadfast love endures forever. Well, that psalm keeps moving, and down in verse 24 it says, This is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. We will have joy and be glad in it this day, this day, because of what he's done in the past, because of what is going to happen in the future and our unshakable confidence in that, this day we will rejoice. Today, in the day-to-day, moment-by-moment aspect of our lives, and when we see the world through this lens of joy, it comes alive. In the mornings, I usually wake up somewhere around six o'clock, maybe a little sooner, and I'll get up and everybody's still sleeping, and I go downstairs, and I will make coffee, and uh, I like, I have some good Land of a Thousand Hills Rwandan coffee beans that, uh, that I grind up. Um, try to remember to do that the night before, because it sounds like I'm putting a child in the grinder in the morning, like it sounds, they're screaming, um, and so I try to do that before, because the grinder is very loud, but, um, but sometimes I forget, and I just let family sleep through that, and, uh, and so I grind those beans, and then, uh, and then I put them in my French press, and I get a good good few cups of coffee out of that, right? And then, uh, and I like to, uh, I like to listen to music while I do that as well. So I like to put on some jazz. One of my favorites um, is Etta James. And Etta James sings a, uh, a version of Nina Simone's song, Feeling Good. And I like to turn that on in the morning to start with something joyful. Because I know I just said that joy is not a feeling, and it's not always a feeling, but but it can come out as a feeling. It can bubble out of us in a place. And I love the words. There are biblical undertones to the words of this song because the Bible tells us that creation itself is clapping its hands out of joy in the Lord. When we we hear the sea roar, it is creation roaring in joy. When we hear a babbling brook in the in the uh, in the forest, it is it is a song of joy. When we hear the, see the trees waving in the breeze, they're clapping their hands for the joy of the Lord. And here's and Etta James sings this Nina Simone song, and she says this: "Birds flying high, you know how I feel. Sun in the sky, you know how I feel. Breeze drifting on by, you know how I feel. It's a new dawn." It's a new day. It's a new life for me. And I'm feeling it. Right? I love it. I love to start. Let's start the day this way. It's a new dawn. It's a new day. There's a lot coming. There's a lot left over from the day before. There's pain. There's heartache. But the mercies of God are new every morning. And there is a joy in that. Joy is not all about feeling, but sometimes it does feel really real. There's another way that the Bible speaks of joy when the times when it doesn't feel good. God speaks of joy in suffering. And life is full of suffering. We will never avoid suffering because we live in a fallen world. 
And joy is not is not uh, dependent upon the avoidance of suffering. Maybe happiness is, but joy is not dependent upon the absence of suffering, but rather joy is greater than our suffering. That the presence of suffering is not the absence of God. In fact, he didn't bring suffering. Our human sin brought suffering. And the joy of all joys is that God has entered into our suffering with us. Hebrews, right? Hebrews says that, that Jesus was tempted in every way, that for the joy set before him, we just preached on this a few weeks ago, the joy set before him, he endured the cross and the shame and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus has entered into our suffering with us. Romans 8 says that when we suffer, we suffer with Christ, just as we will be glorified with Christ. So even now, it's not that Christ suffered a long time ago, and that we should be inspired by that, but that we, when we suffer now as a part of his body, he suffers with us. He has not abandoned us. He has entered in with us. I coached baseball for a long time when my kids were growing up. And, uh, and uh, especially the smaller kids, right? When, when we, if we would lose a game, there would be tears. Half the time they didn't know what was going on in the game, right? They didn't even know which base to run to or exactly where to throw it or anything. But at the end, they'd be like, who had more points, us or them, right? And I'm like, not points, just run. But that, that's the finer point of baseball, okay? Um, and, and I would say, well, we didn't, we didn't win this one. And, and somebody would inevitably cry, right? Um, they, like they would put all the clovers out of their pocket that they picked out of right field um, and, they, and they would cry. Um, and, and you know what they would do when they would cry? They would either run to me as their coach or to their parents. They just want to hug. Like they just want to be embraced because they want a love and a joy that is greater than the baseball game. And as an adult, you go, they're not going to remember tomorrow whether they won this game or not. But their, their sadness and their grief is deep and true right now and that we can be with them. And when they learn to trust us when things go bad in their t-ball game and we're there for them, they're going to be there they are going to be confident that we are going to be there when they're diagnosed. Right? That when we walk in those little things with them and we show our love is greater than this, no matter how big the despair, we can say our love is greater than that. And that is Christ. His love is greater than any of our suffering, no matter how deep that his hands, graven with the holes that are in them, out to embrace in our suffering. And it's greater than any suffering we can endure. That's joy. That's endurance. That is a that is uh, that is a steadfast elation. God with us in our suffering then leads to hope. You see a lot in the scripture that joy and hope are connected inextricably. In other words, they're intertwined and you can't pull them apart. That, that Paul even says in Romans 12, he gives some commands, some very short pointed commands. He says this, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in praise. He says, rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation. All of that comes together because when we have this joy that transcends our, any situation in which we are in, we can have hope. We can have hope that Christ is going to be with us is going to deliver us, and ultimately that Christ is going to win. 
this, and I want you to hear this, friend. Hear this closely. Joy is not, a, is not naivete. It's not escapism. It's not, it's not separating ourselves from our suffering and pretending that that's not true. Our joy is defiant. Our joy is to look into the face of Satan's sin and death and the suffering and sin of this world and say, you will not win. You do not win here in my life. You do not win in this world because Jesus has conquered through victory. And there is a joy unshakable that comes through that. And so our joy is one of defiance toward those things that oppose the work and the beauty of God. Joy steps into suffering ourselves and with the suffering of others with one eye weeping because there is truth to the grief and one eye smiling because there is hope that is unshakable of the redemption of all things. It is unflappable, unshakable, immovable. That is joy in Christ. We can have joy in our suffering because we know that it has meaning in Jesus. James chapter 1 says, count it all joy, my brother, when you face trials of various kinds. Count it joy when you face trials. Not God has abandoned me and my life is over and why is if God was, if God was here, why would he let these things happen? And, no, he says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, our suffering, when we press into God and we realize he is there and he does lead us and his truth endures and the promises that he makes are real and that the people of God are with us in our suffering as well, when we press into those things, what results is a deeper faith and a deeper confidence in God and a deeper love for him. And that's what we're going to be sharing for eternity through our suffering has value. It has meaning. You have no meaningless suffering if you suffer with Christ. And so we hold this tension of suffering and joy together until Christ returns to make all things. So here's the question. How then do you do this cultivating of joy? How do you have this? How do you, how do you seek this gift from the Holy Spirit? How do we participate with the Holy Spirit? To give you a few ideas, okay? Um, one, here in Galatians chapter 5, Paul separates, again, the works of the flesh. In other words, there are certain things in the flesh that we can pursue that are, that are anti-joy. They may feel like they are happy and joyful at the moment, but they are fleeting. But we pursue the eternal. Philippians chapter 4, Paul famously says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. In other words, slow down. With all of the 10,000 messages that are coming at you every day, seek out the ones of Jesus and think about those things. Ponder them. Spend time with them. And that also means avoid those things that are trying to steal your joy as well. Social media, the 24-hour news cycle. You do not need to know what is happening in Ukraine every five minutes. There's nothing you can do about it every five minutes, right? Spend the time, once a day, check your news. 
Maybe once every other day, check your news. But you are not the king of the universe, so don't worry about his inbox, right? Like you can't, you can't solve it all, and that's okay for you to not have to know everything. It's just a form of wanting control. So let it go. Some of us need to get off of news altogether. We need to stop watching reality television. We need to avoid music that is overly sexual or violent or materialistic. Most definitely pornography. Like if pornography is in your life, that, that's rotten. Right? That, that is fleeting joy that's about dopamine for a minute, but it's oppressing. It's a whole industry that oppresses people for your seconds of dopamine. We have to get away from it. It rots your soul and your marriage and your life and your parenting and your children. Like if those things steal joy, we've got to get away from them and out of them. Don't engage. Here's another way. Make a conscious effort to avoid cynicism. Our culture is so cynical. We are just full of eye-rolling distrust. Everything, we just want to look at it and sort of sneer you have to prove yourself good to me before it'll be okay. And there's never, nothing can ever prove themselves enough to us. And it's okay to just enjoy things. To just simply enjoy things. And so spend time intentionally in creation, in art, in beauty. Embrace the colors of the sunset, the green of Burmill Park, the blue of the ocean, the palette of fall colors that are coming to us. Laugh at squirrels, unless they're on your bird feeder, then shoot them. Um, but that's, a, that's another, another topic for another. That's justice is what that's about. Um, <laughs> these things are not fleeting and meaningless. But when we look at a sunset and we go, this just seems kind of romantic and not practical, it's deeply practical. Because it is beauty and joy that was here before you're here and going to be here after you're gone. And it is evidence of the creator himself and that we get that moment to share in that. That is an eternal moment that shapes our heart and our soul. Eat good food with friends. Drink good wine. Savor the taste of it. These are evidence of the creator with us. Find artisans who work with paint or wood or fabric or metal and marvel at their skill, whatever is excellent. Think about it. And they are things that show there's a simplistic beauty that, that shows all around that the joy and the consistency of God is there. Cultivate joy. Even in your work. Recognize that Jesus is pleased when you work for him, no matter if you're stapling papers all day. Staple papers for the Lord, right? If you're a student, that's your job right now. Pursue education for the Lord so that you work to glorify him. And that brings meaning even to the most mundane. And we find joy also in serving others and realizing that we don't exist just to try to amass happiness to ourselves, but to bring this kind of depth confidence to other people as well. Paul describes his ministry over and over again as trying to make people's joy complete. Can that be our ministry as well? To others. And finally this, keeping in mind where all this is headed, where the trajectory of history is headed, where your fate is headed. There are, there are, there are two significant things that are, that are defined and described in the scripture that are going to happen when Jesus returns. Either you're going to die and you are going to go 
to a place with the Lord. Or Jesus is going to come back and bring us all there at the same time. Either way, you end up in the same place. Okay? And what is described here? One, rest. When all of the servants have done their work in Matthew 25, he says this, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. That's where all this is headed, is joy. And an immeasurable joy that will be in elation, that will be mixed completely with happiness, unstained from the sin of the world. And so we can work well and we can rest well, knowing that Jesus is in charge without guilt or shame because there is a rest in the easy yoke of Jesus. And we see in that time to come, that it will be constant worship because we will be, we will be face to face with what inspires the most joy of all God himself. And we are going to spend eternity in worship where our joy overflows, where we abandon concern about what others think about us. And we lose ourselves in song and in liturgy. And we chew with intentionality, the sacrament when we come forward together and we just simply worship the Lord because he's good not because of, of whether he's delivered us or he's not delivered us or whether, as Jonah figured out, whether he gave us a plant or he took the plant away from our reading. God is going like, it doesn't matter if there's a plant there or not. I'm still good. And so worship, so worship well. Rest well and worship well are two ways of cultivating joy because this is where we're going. So let's practice, right? Let's, let's practice for eternity and rest well and worship them. And we begin to cultivate this unflappable, unshakable, enduring joy that is, that is a steadfast elation. So friends, pray the Lord that he will give you this and cultivate. May we be a joyful people, a people that are not shaken by this world, but that can grieve well with one another can weep well with others, but that we do so with an unshakable confidence in the goodness of God and in his victory in our lives and in the history and in history itself. Joy. Gift. A fruit of the Holy Spirit. Pray with you. Lord, help us be a joyful people. Give us this gift where we're fear or hurt or sin has robbed us of our joy, redeem us. Let us seek your forgiveness. Let us seek your healing. Um, let us, where our, where our lives are misaligned for the pursuit of things that are not eternal, when we have made those things our idols and our God, Lord, let us destroy those things and come back to the source of true joy. You, where we have been, where we have, confuse happiness and joy. Let us find a deep satisfaction in your presence, a mature, deep belief and confidence in your goodness, in your, in your immediacy with us. Lord, give us great hope for the future, hope in our suffering now and hope for the great victory that you're going to bring when you return. And we, and we long for, we ask you to, Hasten that day, Lord, when you will return to make joy the only. And until that time, Lord, let us be a joyful people here in the midst of this.
unshakably confident in you and in your goodness and with an elation in our heart that we know our creator and that he loves us and that we will be with you forever. Give us joy, we pray, in your name. Amen.